you to Geneva's 2011 graduate and adult education commencement ceremony. Can you believe it's finally here? I want to welcome and thank several specific groups of people who are here in the field house today. First, I'd like to welcome the family members of the graduates. If you are a father or mother of a graduate, would you please stand? Hold on. Wait. No, wait, 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 stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. If you're a spouse of a graduate, would you please stand? Stay standing. If you're a child, a sibling, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, by blood, marriage, or friendship, would you please stand? Graduates, I know that these people have been important to you over the years. Would you thank them for their support of you? You may be seated. To those of you who are just standing, let me add my deep appreciation to you as well. You've entrusted your loved ones to us. You've invested significant resources in us. Please accept my superior, sincere gratitude on behalf of the college for your faith in Geneva. Second, I'd like the faculty of the college to please stand. Hold on. Graduates, these are the folks who have challenged you to accomplish things that you did not think were possible. They have loved you and pushed you to think and learn deeply and well. Would you please thank them for their work and service to God and to you in this place? Please be seated. I'd like to introduce uh, several of the people on the platform uh, behind me. Uh, one will be, uh, remain unannounced and introduced later, Dr. Adele Aiken. Director of the Masters of Education and Reading program will be introducing our speaker today. Registrar Andrea corkin Bazay will be assisting the president in greeting and congratulating each student. Dr. Ken Smith, the 19th president of Geneva College, will lead us in an opening prayer this evening. He will also be the person who will officially declare you to be graduates of the college. Dr. Ter Dr. Terry Williams, Geneva's Dean of Faculty and Administration, will be announcing honors and will close our time in prayer. And then not on the platform, but important, Dr. Melinda Stevens, Geneva's Dean of Academic Programs, will be reading the names of each of the graduates today. Would you welcome uh, Dr. Smith uh, to the podium? Well, let me add my welcome to the families and friends of the class of 2011, as well as give my hearty congratulations to those of you who are receiving your degrees today. It's a good day. Now, I expect that you have some mixed feelings, mixed emotions at this point. You've been at this for a while. 
Uh, so no doubt you are experiencing some joy and anticipation of being done. That's a good thing. But you may also be feeling a little bit of sadness as you face the fact that I'm not still going to be having weekly classes with some of these individuals and some of these professors. Uh, you leave something behind when you reach this point. Well, we feel the same way. We rejoice with you in the completion of your work, or at least this piece of it. It'll continue. But we're going to miss our interactions with you into the future. So stay in touch and come back. Now, if you will, please join me as we ask God's blessing on our time together. Our gracious Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you for the sun today. Mixed with that rain, it's just been a beautiful day. What a great day for a celebration. Lord, thank you for your holiness and your grace. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, through whom our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to you. And we praise you for your Holy Spirit who continues to work your will both in and through us. God, we acknowledge your presence and ask your blessing as we celebrate with these students the work that they've completed and the service to which you are calling them from this point onward. We are reminded, Lord, that commencement means beginning, not the end. And this is a beginning. And we are confident of this very thing, that you, who have begun a good work in these students, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I am humbled and honored to introduce to you our guest, Dr. Ann Payton, a woman who wears many hats, though I think her favorite is a soft black one that she often can be seen wearing to campus. She looks good in hats, don't you think? Now, one of, one of the hats that she wears is a rather special one, and it is mother to several of the women faculty on campus that are from a certain era. And since tomorrow is Mother's Day, we thought it would be appropriate to present her with a little token of our appreciation. These are women faculty that had Anne in a, a long, long time ago as our professor. And so Dr. Jeske Smith is um, going to give Anne some flowers. <laughs> Now, I could tell you about the Anne who is an Episcopal priest, or I could tell you about the Anne who is an advocate, a counselor, a mentor, a disciple of Jesus, a writer, a reader, a giver of hospitality and comfort. But tonight I will tell you just a bit about the Anne who was and is my teacher. In the early 1970s, when Dr. Payton was my English professor on Geneva's campus, there was no award for excellence in teaching, as there is now. If there had been, I would have written something like the following as a nomination for her. Dr. Ann Payton is already the teacher of the century in my mind. She seems to accept her responsibility to teach us with a commitment that is serious but joyful. Class begins at the appointed time with an air of solemnity. 
Each week, she uncovers the intricacies and idiosyncrasies of the English language in a way that both intrigues and interests and instructs. Because she holds herself to such a high standard in teaching, she compels me to put forth my best efforts in learning. Her lectures open my eyes to the significance of language in relation to the truths of scripture. She teaches me to craft my words with care and integrity. Her stories, whether they are fact or fiction, inspire me to more closely follow my Lord and my calling. And somewhere in the midst of every class, there is an encouraging smile and hearty laughter to lighten the task before us. All of this adds up to a teacher who cares about her students and her purpose, the kind of teacher who is and always will be recognized for excellence in teaching. Actually, Dr. Payton was honored with the Excellence in Teaching Award soon after it was instituted at Geneva. So you see there are others who agree with me. And after tonight, you will too. She's not only one of my esteemed teachers from the past, she is a friend who continues to enlighten me on everything from China, with a small c, uh, to Chaucer, appetizers to apostrophes, but she has taught me the most about listening. Hearing God's voice in the stories of scripture and prayer. A lover of her Lord and the stories he writes, Anne, I'm sure, has a message especially for you this afternoon. As you open your hearts and your minds to God's calling for your lives, listen carefully and please welcome Dr. Ann Payton. Well, those women who were my students certainly know how to break up an old lady. <laughs> but I want you to know that they are an informal group who are called DOA. <laughs> Daughters of Anne. <laughs> Distinguished platform guests, my fellow faculty, families and friends, and most of all graduates. Is this great or what? To speak at any commencement is a privilege, but I'm especially glad to be here, honored to be here at your commencement, because I too got my advanced degrees while I was holding down full-time jobs. So I have a sense of what it took for you to get here to this place on this day for this event. And I wanna say congratulations, well done. I wanna give you a graduation gift. If I were Oprah Winfrey, the next line would be, Everybody here today gets a new car. <laughs> but I offer you something that will work for your entire life, no matter what happens. Namely, a definition of life. You're rolling your eyes. You're saying, who needs a definition of life? Life is what I do every day. Okay, that's your definition of life. Let me throw out a couple more. Many of you have read Shakespeare's Macbeth, and you may recall that near the end, having lost everything that makes life worth living, love, honor, respect, Macbeth says, life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's depressing. 
So let's try an early 20th century one. This is Aldous, Aldous Huxley. Life is a chess game played against an unseen opponent who never makes a mistake. That's even more depressing. But the problem with those definitions is that they're inadequate. They do not account for all the data. Now that's an academic way of shrieking no, no to those definitions. They're not true. I offer you a true and trustworthy definition. Life as story. Let me illustrate. Settle into your story time mode while I begin. Once upon a time, there was a brave, handsome prince whose granny was the monarch. Prince, she said, if you're going to be a good king, you must have a queen. And so the prince went up and down the land looking for just the right princess. He met many lovely, smart, aristocratic girls, but none was just right. And one day he fell in love with a lovely, smart girl, but she was a commoner. What shall I do, Granny, he asked. No problem, said she. I will make her a princess. And so she did, and the whole world rejoiced. And on that very same day, that Catherine Middleton became a princess. The President of the United States ordered the hunt down of Osama bin Laden. Laden, I'm sorry. What did you do that day? Do you remember that day? What did you do? I watched TV and took out the trash. My point is that you and I do not live our unchronicled lives in a vacuum. We are always part of a larger story which shapes our lives. For example, as a child, I saw men come to our door, hat in hand, and ask my mother whether they could work for food. The history books call that the Great Depression. As a teen, I did my homework every night, and every night we put up the black out curtains just in case the German Luftwaffe bombed our house on their way to the steel mills. The history book calls that World War II. My life has continued against that kind of a backdrop. Nuclear energy, Vietnam War, Korean War, assassination of Kennedy, you get the picture? but also some other things, like the freedom demonstrations in Tiananmen Square, the beginning of the civil rights movement, a noble cause not yet realized. Okay, will anybody say amen? Okay, please. And efforts to preserve our planet. But of course, the biggest factor in our larger story today is the explosion of technology, which has revolutionized medicine, education, society, business, and our personal lives. We live in what used to be science fiction, and who knows what will come next. Personally, I'm waiting for the transporter into which I can step and say, beam me up, Scotty, and land me down in Samoa. 
it will come. The point is that your own life is being and will be lived in a larger context of wonders and horrors, of incorrigible evil and even more incorrigible grace, of events over which you have no control and some in which you must intervene. That's the reality. So I ask, how shall you keep your footing in shifting sand? How can you keep your balance in a whirling world where your phone is obsolete before you've read the instructions, when the rules of the game keep changing and the delicately poised mobile of personal relationships trembles in the wind? How live, not just survive? Of course I have no idea what your life story will be, but I know it will be quite a ride. There will be days when you will exult with the psalmist, I can leap over any wall. And there will be days when life is so complicated and crazy and so just plain hard that you will wake up asking, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What's it all for? And at that moment, you'd better have a rock-bottom, non-negotiable, gut-level reason for living. Otherwise, you're just going to go on doggedly as men, as dead men and women walking. We can't live without purpose. We were created for significance. And that can only come when we realize that your story and my story have meaning and purpose because they are a part of a meta-narrative. God's big story, that sweeping human history that began in a garden and will end in the holy city. We are not, as Bertrand Russell opined, fuzzy insects clinging to a dying star. We are created beings, participants in God our Creator's big story. The individual life, the larger corporate life, family, school, nation, church, on all a part of that overarching, all-inclusive God story. To see how this works, think of commencements. I graduated in 1950. The speaker at my commencement was a man named Robertson McCartney who was celebrating the 60th anniversary of his commencement. I looked at him as you are looking at me, <laughs> thinking, graduated 60 years ago. Can anybody really be that old? <laughs> and can anybody that old stand up and speak? Well, he did. But think of this. Your commencement connects you with me and with Robertson McCartney. If you take my hand and I take his, you and I and he delineate 121 years of Geneva College history along with those other men and women in khakis and jeans, frock coats and long skirts. Whether you ever come back to this campus or not, Geneva is a part of your story 
and you of hers. We're in a great tradition. And that places us in an even more ancient and honorable tradition of Christians striving to glorify God through scholarship. This definition of life as story is thoroughly biblical. I have referred to the meta-narrative, God's big story, the unfolding of his redemptive work until his kingdom of life and peace and joy is fully realized. Scripture shows that every single person, villain or hero, pro-God or anti-God, willingly or willy-nilly, is in that narrative. Think of some heroes. Moses, Deborah, David, Mary. Think also of the ordinary people whose names we do not know. The servant girl who said, I know who can cure General Naaman's leprosy. The lad whose mother had packed his lunch with five small loaves and two skinny fish. Chapter 11 of the Book of Heroes resounds with big names, but the chapter ends with a tribute to that host of unnamed believers who for their faith were exiled, tortured, executed, of whom the world was not worthy. Every life has meaning. Every life is precious to God, including yours. He knows your name. You may never dance with the stars or win a Nobel Prize, but you can dance with the saints and win a noble crown. Back to the wedding of the prince and the commoner. Why did two billion people watch that wedding on TV? Because deep in our hearts, we know that there is something terribly, terribly wrong with us and with our world. We cry, it's not supposed to be this way. We long for a sign of hope and we saw it in the royal wedding. That wasn't just a sentimental rush. That almost mythic wedding was a powerful shadow of profound spiritual reality. Think about this, to be a commoner one minute and a princess the next. Catherine Middleton did not have to earn her status and titles. They were given to her by the monarch simply by reason of her union with the prince. That is grace. That is what God does for us. The minute we say, I will, to the prince of peace, the king declares us royal. A royal priesthood, joint heirs with Christ, and the commoner become royal commits to the work of the prince, the good of the kingdom, the honor of the monarchy. In Christ, that's what we do. William and Catherine will make mistakes, so will we. But they know for sure 
that their lives have meaning in a larger kingdom story. Do you know that for sure? Do you? You can know that too. Grasp that truth. Embrace it. Live it. And go with God.